Happy Resurrection Day. I know Easter was last week, but we're, new, we're a New Testament church. We're, we're resurrection people, and so every Sunday, every day, frankly, is a day for us to be reminded that Jesus rose from the dead. I love the line from the first, um, first song that we sang is, uh, the king stands over the grave. I love that image. And so as God's people, we want to be resurrection people, not just one time in the spring, but 365, 24-7, realizing that Jesus has risen from the dead, and that changes everything. And today's text here in the Gospel of Luke will remind us of that. We're going to be in chapter 4 in Luke, so if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open it up to that. If you don't have a good Bible at home, please get one at Guest Connections. Let that be our gift to you. Today we hit the finish line of teaching through Luke. We've been in Luke since December of 2019, taking some breaks along the way, but I think nearly we've spent 90 Sundays in this gospel account of his birth, life, death, and resurrection. I pray it's been helpful for us to get a growing and biblical understanding of who Jesus is, Jesus who we are seeking to be more and more devoted to, who we are seeking to follow as his disciples. Next week, we begin a series called Wisdom for Life, where we'll spend June or spend May and June in the book of Proverbs. So I encourage you to begin reading the book of Proverbs this next Sunday, May 1, starting chapter 1, and then we're going to track along through much of Proverbs during those couple months. Are any of you troubled this morning? Are any of you doubting? Are any of you anxious? Are any of you battling unbelief? The reasons might be because of something happening in your personal life or the life of someone who you love or because of something in the the workplace or the industry that you work in or because what you see occurring in the world. Maybe for you, you're troubled by how our world is moving more and more into a post-Christian environment and you're confused about how you are to engage as a missionary in that environment or you're anxious about the nation's economy. Maybe you're troubled about the unknown nature to future itself, which has always been unknown, right? Future's always been unknown, especially to a finite, limited humanity. Or maybe it has little to do with what's out there and more to do with your own heart, your own way of life, loved ones around you. Maybe you're thinking like the psalmist saying, God, where are you? Where are you? Are you hearing my cry for help? Or maybe there's some doubt or unbelief creeping in, wondering if God is who He says He is. Here's what I know from walking with many of you over the years, including recently, is that many of you find yourself in that kind of head and heart space. And what I want to encourage you in is that if so, you and I can relate to the disciples in this passage that we'll look at. Even more so, we get to hear from our Lord and Savior Jesus encourage us with truth this morning, truth found in Luke 24 that is timely and relevant for us as the people of God. The reality of a risen Jesus changed the disciples then, it changes us today. May we hear the words of a risen King of Kings and welcome His gracious shaping and transforming in our lives. Last week on Easter, we looked at Jesus encountering two disciples on their way home to Emmaus. It was Easter Sunday morning. By the end of that exchange, they've come to realize the reality of a risen Jesus. Verse 33 in Luke 24 says this, That very hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem. They found the eleven and those with them gathered together who said, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. 
Then they began to describe what had happened on the road to Emmaus and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. And then today's passage, we pick it up in verse 36. As they were saying these things, he himself, risen and resurrected Jesus, stood in their midst. He said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and terrified and thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you troubled? He asked them. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, because a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Having said this, he showed them his hands and feet. But while they were still amazed and in disbelief because of their joy, he asked them, do you have anything to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate in their presence. So step into the shoes of the disciples for a minute. They've just witnessed the horrific and public death of their leader and teacher, Jesus, on Friday. Peter, for example, is fresh off publicly denying that he even knows who Jesus is. The person they had entrusted their life with, followed who they'd given up earthly things for, like businesses and wealth, that person who they'd began to follow for years with all that they had, had been killed brutally, publicly. The one who they intended to follow with their future and their entire lives is now gone. The one who had performed miracles they'd witnessed and they'd been a part of, feeding thousands, releasing people from demonic oppression, calming storms, healing lifelong diseases, that person had been crucified and buried. And now they're hearing that his body has disappeared. And into that environment, disciples wondering what's next, what does the future hold, disciples doubting who the Lord actually is. We thought he was the Messiah. Disciples frightened by the circumstances that they're in. Are are we going to die next? He died on Friday. Are are they coming for us next? Into that environment, that fearful, doubting room, steps the resurrected Jesus. To, to say this is an unexpected moment for the disciples is an understatement. They are seeing in their midst the one who they'd last seen hanging upon a cross. And what does Jesus say to them first? Peace to you. Peace to you. This is a greeting of comfort, strength, hope. Jesus full of truth and grace in this moment. He doesn't condemn them for their lack of faith. And he also doesn't excuse it or justify it. Verse 38, he asks two questions. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Questions that are intended both to reveal he, the all-knowing Lord and Savior, knows their hearts and questions that are intended to reveal the hearts of the disciples. It's like the Lord asking Jonah at the end of that minor prophet. He asks him, Is it right for you to be angry? It's a probing question. It's a question that it's intended to diagnose a problem. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? These are good questions for the Lord to ask of us this morning. Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Notice the first command that Jesus then says to his disciples following these questions that are intended to reveal and expose. He says, look, look. You've been looking at the wrong things. You've been looking at your own heart to solve matters 
matters that are only solved by a sovereign God who can and will do. You've been looking at confusing and disorienting circumstances of this life. Look, Jesus says, look at my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Look at me, Jesus says. Look at your risen Messiah. Look at my real physical body, not a ghost, not a spirit. No, look at the bodily resurrection that has occurred. Look and touch my hands and feet that you last saw nailed and tied up. Jesus is comforting and strengthening his disciples by saying, look at me. Look at me. Stop navel-gazing. Stop looking at worldly circumstances thinking that's going to somehow bring you peace. Or if I just absorb more and more and know more and more that that somehow is going to lead to peace in your soul. Jesus says, look at me. Stop trying to guess at future details that, that will always be unknown to a finite humanity. He says, first, look at my hands and my feet. I beat death. The tomb didn't hold me. My body hasn't been stolen. My body has been raised from the dead. And listen, I'm hungry. You guys got something to eat around here? I haven't eaten for a while. The resurrection of Jesus changed everything then. It changes everything now. The schemes of our spiritual enemy to stop the movement of Jesus utterly failed. In fact, his schemes were simply part of the sovereign God's plans and purposes for the saving of many lives and the unfolding redemption plan in the world. And maybe you're thinking, looking at this situation, and you're thinking, this is the group of disciples that Jesus is going to commission to go and make disciples of all the nations? This group that's been hiding out, struggling with unbelief, doubt, fear, anxiety, really, this is the group? Of course this is the group. Of course it is. This was God's plan A and continues to be His plan A. This is plan, this, the, because this plan A has been unfolding is why we're even here worshiping Jesus in North America. Because a group of faithful disciples in Jerusalem took His commission and went and passed on generation after generation. This is why we must continue as Spirit-empowered witnesses the hope of the world is mission-minded, spirit-empowered, good news of Jesus proclaiming and living local churches. Local churches that are made up of disciples of Jesus who have been changed and continue to be changed by Him, the resurrected one. Which is where Jesus goes next in His teaching to them and to us, calling His disciples to three postures to pursue in one truth to proclaim, calling us to faith-filled action as the people of God because Jesus rose from the dead. Listen, we can't sit on that truth. We can't sit on that fact. That truth has moved the local church through centuries, moved them toward faith-filled postures and practices that we must continue in our day. Verse 44, he told them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. 
you are witnesses of these things. And look, I'm sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. On the front of your program, if you have one or up on the wall uh, to your left, is, is our mission statement. That we exist to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus who live 3D together. 3D meaning devoted to Jesus, loving God, dedicated to one another, loving one another, and driven to reach people. We want to proclaim that forgiveness is possible in Jesus Christ. At the bottom of the front of your program is what I call the three postures. I call them postures because the the word posture means a particular way of dealing with or considering something. It's an approach. It's an attitude. So in our mission to bring glory to God by making disciples of Jesus, we want to approach that mission with the posture of being centered on the gospel, anchored to the word, and dependent on the spirit. And in this passage, I see Jesus speak to all three of these areas as he commissions his disciples. First of all, anchored to the word. In verses 44 through 46, he's taking his disciples back to the Word, saying all these Old Testament scriptures are ultimately about him. They were written about him. They're pointing people forward to the coming Messiah who's, who has come. It's him. All the promises made of the Old Test, in the Old Testament about the Messiah to come, to come, Jesus has fulfilled. Where Adam failed, Jesus has fulfilled where Moses and David and others fell short. Jesus has fulfilled and he's been faithful forever. So who's the Bible about? It's about Jesus. Who's the hero of the scriptures? Jesus. There's no part of the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, that doesn't point our eyes, our hearts toward Jesus. And just like Christ did with the two disciples on the way to Emmaus, he illuminates their minds here to better understand the scriptures. Later in this passage, he will ascend to heaven. So so he's preparing his disciples in how to live when he's physically gone. And so he's saying the scriptures have to be central to your way of life, foundational. You've got to be anchored to the word. And in doing so, the word will continue to reveal him. So for centuries, Christ followers have sought to dwell let the, let the word dwell richly among us in our gatherings, in our fellowship, in our relationships, because the word reveals to us who Jesus is. The next posture that we want to pursue as God's people is to be centered on the gospel, which is found in verse 46. Jesus reminds them, he says, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. Jesus is saying, yes, the scriptures reveal me, And at the same time, they reveal a grand unfolding redemption story from Genesis to the end. Later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes this to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold to the message I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I passed on to you As most important, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The Gospel is of first importance for a New Testament church. And so we we don't want to be centered on anything or anyone other than the Gospel. So we're not going to be centered on a personality, including my own or anybody else here. We're not going to be centered around man-made traditions. 
or anything of this earth. We're not going to be centered around our race, our social class, who we vote for, how we vote, who we cheer for. These are all earthly things that we're not going to tether ourselves to in the sand. We've got to tether ourselves to the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, the immovable rock through all the centuries, through all the different contexts around the history of humanity. Jesus is telling his disciples the story of his work upon the cross and resurrection should be central to our way of life and the church that's going to launch in Acts. And as a New Testament church, we want it to be of first importance here as well. Because in this grand plan of redemption, through the history of humanity, we're joining in. We're joining in in this eternal kingdom work in, frankly, this little, little window of time we've been given. It is minuscule the amount of time that we've been given. So we've got to be found faithful in this vapor of a window of time we've been given. And then in verse 47, Jesus tells them that the gospel message is to be proclaimed to all the nations from Jerusalem outward. And the good news of Jesus is that He died upon the cross to pay the penalty of our sin in full so that whoever would believe in Him and trust in Him might be saved from eternal wrath, be given eternal life. The New Testament church is to proclaim that forgiveness of sins is possible. And forgiveness is received when we repent and believe and trust in Jesus. To repent means to change your mind, change your thinking about who Jesus is, and then in doing so, you're going to walk and live in a new way. A change of mind that leads to a change of direction where once we are turned away from Christ, now we're walking toward Him in allegiance, devotion to Him. The goal of the proclamation is so that people might respond and be saved and experience new life in Christ. This gospel message is to go from Jerusalem and extend to the ends of the earth. Meaning this message that forgiveness is possible only through the person and work of Jesus Christ is to go to every tribe and every tongue and every people group from third world to first world. The gospel is to go to all. Jesus says to his, uh, to his disciples in Matthew 28, he gives them the Great Commission. That's one of the places where it's found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And something that's always been encouraging to me is, is how that truth to, is wrapped up with. So verse 18, he says, I'm coming to you with all authority in heaven and on earth. Verse 20, he says, I'm going to be with you to the very end of the age. In the middle is proclaim, go, baptize, teach all our activity. But that faith-filled activity is wrapped in these two truths, His power and His presence in the midst of our proclamation. So it's not on us. We go in His power. We go in His presence with His presence. He is the one at work as we go, as we teach, as we baptize, as we send out. His power and presence are promised as we proclaim. Then verses 48 through 49, Jesus tells them, you are witnesses of these things, and look, I'm sending you what my Father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. So be anchored to the word that reveals who Jesus is. Be centered on the gospel and the good news 
of the gospel of God's grace, good news of Jesus, proclaim this message, and then he gets to the final posture, and that is to be dependent upon the Spirit. That's who Jesus is referring to in verse 49. I'm sending you what my Father promised. Following the ascension of Jesus, we, we then see the Spirit of God poured out, given to all believers in the book of Acts, and he tells them, until the Spirit comes, stay in Jerusalem. Don't go in your own strength as witness. Instead, wait and rely upon the Spirit and then go as witnesses. And that all takes place in Acts. The Spirit of God is given to every believer at their salvation. When a person repents and believes in Jesus, heaven rejoices and the Lord sends the Spirit to dwell in that new son or daughter, empowering them for faith-filled life. The same Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. In Acts 1.8, Luke records Jesus saying this. He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He gives them four places there. Imagine concentric circles working outward. Jerusalem hometown, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. And the book of Acts follows that pattern. The first seven chapters, Jerusalem, Acts 8 through 12, Judea and Samaria, and then Acts 13 to the end, ends of the earth. And so you can imagine the disciples that are hearing this might be thinking, Jerusalem, this is where you were just killed, Jesus. You want us to go to Jerusalem, our own hometown. Judea, they rejected you there as well. Samaria, now those people aren't like us, Lord. We have to go to them ends of the earth? You mean this, this message goes to the Gentiles? It's not just a Jew message? And Jesus is saying to them, you'll go in my name, my power, my presence, and you'll go in the power of the Spirit. Yes, this great commission is beyond your little human power. That's the point, is because then we are forced to be dependent upon the Spirit who is the one doing the work. Because the local and global mission to make disciples is not, praise God it's not, it's not beyond His power, it's not beyond His ability, and the Lord's power and faithfulness is on display throughout the book of Acts, throughout the history of the church, including this church. We are witnesses, Jesus says, and what do witnesses do? They testify, they tell, they speak of what they've seen, they speak of what they've heard. Witnesses do not remain silent. They're saying with their lips and with their lives, I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good and He's been good to me. His grace has been good to me and His grace can be good to you. Witnesses tell of how Jesus died and rose again and only through Jesus salvation is possible. Salvation is a free gift received by grace, not something we work our way into. Witnesses speak of the great deeds of our God throughout history, including in our own personal lives, including that gracious, transforming work He's done in us. Jesus continues to appear to His disciples for 40 days following the resurrection. And then verse 50, the final words in the Gospel of Luke. Then He led them away to the vicinity of Bethany, And lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them 
and was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple praising God. So Luke is the writer of both the Gospel of Luke and Acts. They kind of serve as volume one, volume two. And at the hinge point of these two, of Gospel of Luke and Acts, is ascension of Jesus and the great commission to disciples to go. Luke 24 ends, Acts 1 then picks up the story of the church beginning, a church that's going to be anchored to the Word, dependent on the Spirit, centered on the Gospel. The ascension marks the end of the earthly ministry of Jesus. The ascension tells us that Jesus has accomplished exactly what He set out to do when He took on flesh and dwelt among us. That the Son is returning to the Father, having done exactly what He set out to do. He is returning in victory, in exaltation, not in defeat, and He's also not escaping the world here. No, He's continuing His plan to redeem the world through the sending of the Spirit and through His saved people who will now be sent as Spirit-empowered missionaries and witnesses alongside one another in local churches, local faith families. This is God's plan A. You, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you are God's plan A. Even if you find yourself in a situation of of battling unbelief or doubt or anxiety, this is God's plan A because it's not on us. It's on the Spirit as we go. The Spirit is at work as we walk by faith, when we actually move, when we open our mouths to tell and to testify as witnesses. Luke 24 ends with a sense of to be continued. And Acts is the sequel, volume 2 of the rescue plan unfolding. Verse 52 again. After worshiping Him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually in the temple praising God. This passage began with doubt and trouble, unbelief, fear, anxiety. Now this group of disciples has moved to worship with great joy. What changed? What changed? The bodily resurrection of Jesus. Their understanding that the one who they'd put their faith in during his three years of earthly ministry wasn't still hanging on a cross wasn't still buried in a tomb, that he was truly the very Son of God, the Messiah, promised throughout the entire Old Testament, who had come to fulfill the law, who died, was raised, and now through repentance and faith, forgiveness could be received and experienced. Jesus ascends, and yet the disciples here don't grieve. They don't grieve. They rejoice. They worship They celebrate, they have, and they are seeing His power on display. Their faith is in the One who can't be stopped, who is above every name, whose power and love are greater, the One who will have the final say over evil and injustice and wrong, the One who is rescuing people from the darkness of sin and moving them into the light of His grace and goodness the one who is then sending his people out, his rescued people, then become his witnesses, his missionaries, his ambassadors, his disciple makers, empowered by the Spirit to tell and to show of who Jesus is, 
The disciples then and us now are called to look at Him. To look at Him. Fix our eyes on Him. This passage begins with, look at the resurrected body of Jesus Christ. In the middle, it is, look at the promise of the Father to send the Spirit. At the end, it is, look at Jesus ascending to heaven. And since then, the New Testament church has been looking for the second coming of Christ and living in light of that reality. Brothers and sisters, live in light of eternity. Fix your eyes, your life upon the victorious one. And in the waiting, in the vapor of life that we've been given, he's worthy of our worship. His mission to proclaim and testify is what we've been called to in the waiting. What are you looking at in your life? What are you fixated on? What are your eyes fixated on? As the people of God, may we see all of life through the lens, through the truth of the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, that He beat death, that He overcame the schemes of the enemy, that He stepped on the head of the snake, and one day He will crush that snake. And until He does, we have an eternal mission in the time that we've been given, in the vapor of life that we've been given I'm overemphasizing it because we get so, so thinking that tomorrow's promised. The vapor of life that we've been given, we need to be found faithful. The Spirit has called us, the Spirit has empowered us to show and tell. May we walk and live in a posture that is anchored to the Word, centered on the Gospel, dependent on the Spirit, together as the people of God here in this local outpost of ministry, and mission in the name of Jesus, seeking to bring Him glory and not us, seeking to proclaim as we walk by faith. Father, we, we need You, and we are grateful that You have not left us alone, that You have sent Your Spirit to dwell in us as Your people. Lord Jesus, thank You that You beat death. You rose from the dead the reality of a risen Savior and Messiah and Lord changes everything in our lives. For those of us who are in the midst of battling fear or anxiety, unbelief, doubt, Lord, I pray that you would minister to our hearts. That your, your phrase, your truth of peace to us would lead the way. That we would be a people who would be encouraged, strengthened, comforted in the truth that you rose from the dead, you're coming back again, and in the waiting we've been called to a mission. So help us as your people to be anchored to the Word and centered on the good news of who you are and dependent upon the Spirit. Thank you that Spirit-empowered witnesses, this is your plan A, gather together in local faith families to go on mission to show and tell. It's beyond us, Lord. And so we need you and we're grateful that you do not forsake and that you've empowered us. Be glorified in how we walk by faith. We pray this in your name. Amen. Because of all that we just sang is true,
And picking up in Colossians 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer and stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word and to speak the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. This week, we will have an opportunity to devote ourselves to prayer. We will have an opportunity to remain watchful. We will have an opportunity to speak of the name of Jesus. Let's go as spirit-empowered witnesses in doing so.